hi, I'm Caitlin. I am addicted to stimulants. I'm a binge drinker. I put other people before myself constantly. I love drama. I love rejection. I have a very rageful temper. I feel very, very ugly sometimes. And I don't let anyone get close to me because I don't want them to see the totality of who I am. I don't believe it can be loved and on and on. And you allow that stream of consciousness for everything that you are terrified to own. Mm -hmm. Just allow yourself, open the channel and allow yourself to own it for once and just see what happens. Life is gonna give you challenges, struggles. It's gonna force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Welcome back, everybody. If this is your first time tuning into University of Adversity, welcome. All you regular listeners, welcome back. You guys, I just want to say thank you to everybody that supported the crowdfunding campaign for my brand new book, Mastering Adversity. If you haven't already and you feel called to do so, all the information is in the show notes, or if you go to my Instagram, you can click the link in the bio. It'll take you there. Shows you the video, gives you all the different levels of involvement that you can have in the campaign. If you feel called to do so, great. If not, that's okay too. I love you just the same. But this journey through the crowdfunding campaign has really allowed me to do all the things that I probably wouldn't do and I probably wouldn't write the book. It's also allowed me to step out of my comfort zone to create a summit, to create things that I probably wouldn't have done so that I can serve and impact more people at a higher level. And most times we get in the way of ourselves and I know I was. So this campaign and this whole process has been amazing. So if you have got involved, thank you. If you haven't yet, go check it out. It's worth it. It's worth it checking it out. And if it's something that you may want to do, if you're an entrepreneur or whoever, and you want to write a book and you want to do the crowdfunding option, it is a cool way to do it. So something to think about. That goes until April 1st. You guys have a little bit of time left, and I'll be announcing more about the University of Adversity Summit, May 21st to the 23rd. We just landed three headline speakers, freaking amazing guests, and we're going to keep landing more. So stay tuned for that. Today's episode, we have the one and only Caitlin Howe joining us today. She is a coach for the Fit for Service Fellowship and FFS Academy. After years in Las Vegas in her dark night of the soul, she embarked on her own healing journey through plant medicine, kundalini yoga, writing, and and self-discovery to step into her path of purpose as a coach and healing facilitator, seeking to help others transmute shadow experiences and trauma into the keys for self-love, internal bliss, and a fully embodied life. This is such a powerful conversation. Just going to say that. And I've been, I've been looking forward to this for a while. I knew Caitlin would be on the show at some point, and it's just perfect timing. We have our summit Fit for Service Fellowship Summit coming up next month, which is going to be absolute, or sorry, coming up next week, and it's going to be absolute fire. So also, guys, highly recommend checking out the the FFS app, the FFS Academy app. Check it out, see what the community is all about, and then take the plunge if you feel called to do so to join the the year-long fellowship. It changed my life. I regret it in 2019 for not doing it. I did it last year. I've done it this year. And it's been incredible. Like the people itself, the community, the coaches, you can't put a price tag on it. So highly recommend checking that out, guys. And you won't be disappointed. Caitlin is such a badass coach. She's so great at explaining challenging topics and articulating in an easily digestible way, as you'll see in this episode. She's absolute fire and is just such a bright light. And I'm grateful to have her as a coach and to be able to have her as a friend. So enjoy the episode. Caitlin Howe coming right up. And here we go. The one and only Caitlin Howe. What's up, Caitlin? Thanks so much for coming on. Hi, it's such an honor. And so I've been looking forward to this opportunity to connect with you on the show for a while. So I'm really grateful to be here. 
Um, yeah, it's so good to see you. Uh, it's so good <laughs> to see you too. And, you know, being able to work with you over the last year has just been amazing. And, you know, your wisdom through all the things that you've gone through in your life and the way you teach it and the way you, your loving presence that you provide to our community is just, mm. like, there's no words sometimes for things, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> there's no words. So I'm super grateful to have you on. And what I love about doing this show is that, you know, I have people from different levels, some very successful, some people are on their journey, but what I love to do is that show people that there's the human behind the success, you know, like really there's always, no matter where you're at in your life, whether you've created massive financial success, whether you've, you know, created, you, you've wrote a million books, whatever it is, there's always a story and a human behind that. You know, there's always so much value to be learned by the stories. So to kick things off, I always like to kind of dive into your personal story and start wherever you feel called to start from. Cause I know it's a bit of a broad question, but wherever you feel called to start from and walk us through a little bit of your journey on how you got to where you are today. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for, thank you for asking. So, you know, I know this show focuses on adversity as an asset and I can, I really resonate with that concept, um, you know, and so I, I feel like the right place to start and I can weave in a little context is, um, is the period of my life that was the most challenging and, and kind of working into that because that was the springboard for all of my spiritual development and all of my healing work, which I am still doing. You know, I think that this is, I love that you, you, you point that out about the human. Um, it's really easy right now in this era of, you know, social media and so much access to information to see people really presenting in, in their most successful way and being very successful. You know, there's always someone you can look to and say, wow, they're doing it so well, and they're doing it better than me and they've got it all figured out. And if only I could just get there and, um, and we, and it's easy to lose sight of, of the reality that we are all constantly learning about ourselves, healing and growing, and it's a never ending journey and it's a beautiful journey. But for me, um, I really categorize my life into like the pre, you know, we talk about like waking up and consciousness, right? And there was my whole life before I really came into a place where I was forced to start to feed and nurture that spiritual development and get really curious about it because I needed it. And so before that moment, um, you know, I was kind of existing and just going through life and, and, uh, and really looking day to day, having fun. I was, um, let's see, I, in 2012, this is when this really started for me. So I'd had a little bit of exposure to some plant medicines, um, and some concepts of inner work, you know, through yoga and meditation, I was aware of all of that. And those were things I kind of dabbled in for fun, but it wasn't, it wasn't until life presented me with a challenge where it became a necessity that I really threw myself wholeheartedly into, into my healing and my awakening and my conscious development. And so in 2012, I went through a very devastating breakup. I was engaged. I had it all. And I was like, I was a bikini model and I was, you know, I, I was, uh, I, I worked sometimes but didn't really have to, cause I was, you know, in this partnership where I was very supported and my life was so, so fun and good. And I was just kind of expecting this whole future laid out for me where, um, it was going to continue to be easeful and, um, supported and, and, and harmonious. And then suddenly we broke up and it was really unexpected. And, um, you know, I think it's hard to convey how devastating this was for me because it was a total rewrite of the future that I anticipated. Um, and, and I loved him so much and I was so, I was so happy with him. So it not only, it wasn't more the, the, the discomfort of my life being totally shifted and the security that I had being shifted was really secondary. It was more that 
the visceral pain of losing somebody that I deeply, deeply loved and was certain was my person. And so because I'd had this past where I had been reliant so heavily on my, on my beauty to, um, you know, to make, and it wasn't like I intentional, but as a woman, I think, um, for many of us, I think many of us can relate to this. There, society really, um, affirms beauty and affirms this really, um, this objectified kind of presentation where you're very available to people and you're very, you, you know, it's the good girl, it's the, it's the, the pretty one. And, and so I had on some level as a survival mechanism kind of really honed that starting in high school where I started to really recognize from my environment, like this is the way to feel safe in the world, be beautiful, be agreeable, be, you know, um, available. And I really cultivated this people pleasing persona where I felt more secure in the world if I was in harmony with my environment and making everyone else happy and feeling safe in my beauty. And when that re relationship ended, I didn't know how else to survive, but I was, I had just, was just turning 30. And so it was really this terrifying reckoning where it was like, oh no, I've been in this relationship for six years and I never cultivated my inherent gifts and, the, and my, my sense of purpose. And now I don't feel like I have ground to stand on. So I went back into the only things I knew, which was social security through partying and, you know, being re really available to other people. It was going back into jobs that were really heavily reliant on beauty and, you know, your fitness and stuff. I moved to Las Vegas. I started working in nightlife because that was where money was. And I was like, this is just temporary. I hit such a rock bottom. I, I hit a point where I was so sick with inside of myself because I was so unnourished spiritually and so lost for purpose. And I was in this environment where the whole machine of Las Vegas is really built around sexuality, beauty, money. And so I was in like the perfect storm of just really, really um, needing to survive in a place where I had to use the things that were not spiritually nourishing for myself to do that. And I got very depressed, um, very unwell. And I finally hit a point where I recognized that I was feeling like I was dying spiritually. And I went at that point and did ayahuasca for the first time. And that was, that could be a whole podcast, but we'll set that there, you know, and, and what happened was I came back after reconnecting with nature in the jungle, after being in this concrete jungle for a long time. And, um, and I had this remembering of myself and my soul and the things that mattered to me. And I came back with that connection and life started to bring me opportunity and awareness. So I got a job that really, um, that really, got me out of my, I was a presenter for poker, but it got me out of this total reliance on my physical form into getting to use my voice, into getting to stand in my confidence again and, and really um, show up to a job that I was actually excited about and felt like an opportunity. And I recognized I want to be, I, I miss writing. I loved writing since I was a little girl. And so I found a book club in Las Vegas um, a downtown. I went there. I didn't know anybody. That was like its own little, um, sort of, it was its own little ceremony, you know, walking into the room where there's all these writers and they're having this circle and they're sharing their writing. And I'm this girl from the strip that's been working in a nightclub. And I'm like, I want to be a writer. Here I am, you know, and it was terrifying and it felt so good. And, um, and started to see that. And at the same time, I started to nurture my spirit by studying Kundalini yoga. And so this sort of trifecta of self-nurture awakened this 
this power in me, this, the call of the daemon, you know, we talk about a lot in fit for service where I felt like I, I want more than this and I need more than this. And I'm going to get more than this. And I'm going to set down all the old vices of drugs and social, you know, pressure and my external validation. And I'm going to nurture this burning desire inside of my heart to be the woman that I meant to be. And from that point, it was a slow but beautiful escalation into this path of self-healing and self-discovery. And um, in 2017, I felt, uh, sorry, let me step, take a step back. I got, um, I got this really clear call while I was in Las Vegas that I want to write a book. And I am going to write about this story, about my dark night of the soul and how I lost myself. And so I packed up all my stuff. I drove back down to Texas. I came home to where my heart really wanted to be. And I lived in my sister's guest house for six months. And I wrote the manuscript for this book and really felt like I could stand in myself as a writer at that point. And, um, and I decided to move back completely to, to Austin where I was offered a job with Aubrey Marcus doing, um, you know, doing at the time it was, it was social media, but then because of all the work I'd done, you know, through all the plant medicine journeys, I've had 14 times with ayahuasca now and a number of different other medicine journeys and a lot of inner work, a lot of work with them, incredible mentors. And he invited me to be a coach for the fit for service program when it launched. And I was like, Oh man, I don't know if I'm ready. And sure enough, as you spoke to at the beginning of the, um, of the show, the being a coach for this program really helped me connect at last to my unshakable gift of my heart and the strength that's in that. And so this, there's this harmony happening now where I'm still in my process, cultivating my, my path as a writer, but through the journey, of all of it, it has brought me to this place where there's also this other call and that is to help people and to be of service and to bridge community and to really show up and, and share everything that I've learned and help other people discover their own paths of self-nurture and, um, and really honoring that calling of purpose that, that gets lost sometimes when we're seeking outside of ourselves and trying to survive in this modern world. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> you know, I can resonate with a lot of that because, you know, I spent many years in the bar industry, many years. And, you know, my only tool I had was the way I could speak or the way I look. And I felt like that was all I had as well. And it's, it's crazy when you take that away and it's like this for athletes as well. You know, I was an athlete and then a bartender. And it's like, when you strip that away, who are you now? Because you get so much validation for that thing that you're doing, right? You're like, oh, you know, in your case, you must have been, oh, you're beautiful. You're so great. Like, and then you're like, oh, this is good. Let's keep doing this, right? And, and it's so challenging. And, and my question for you is, you know, with these different personas we create, these different identities, you know, how challenging was it to create that new identity? You know, because for me personally, I, I struggled with, well, if you want to be spiritual, you have to be like this or look like this. If you want to be an author or a writer, you need to be like this or look like this. And that's just a story, right? Mm -hmm. And I have come to realize, and even, you know, learning from you guys and Kyle and Aubrey, you can be all those things. You, you can just do it in your own way, you know, and, and that's the beautiful thing that I'm realizing. And my question for you is like, how, how challenging is it for you? And how challenging was it getting out of those, that box that we create and coming back to it sometimes, do you feel like, you go back and say, do I still have it? Like, am I still that, <laughs> you know, because I know that's what I have. That's what I face. So how is that for you? Wow. What an excellent question. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, I will tell you, I still struggle with it. 
there's there, what I've learned in my path most recently, and it's been super helpful is this concept of, you know, our parts and our sub selves. And we really do carry these multiple personalities in our psyche um, at all times. And they're, and they have different ages. You know, we, we hone these, these survival skills and these personas at various points in our lives uh, developmentally, and they stick with us. And so we contend with them always. This is like the, the work of integration is really bringing them home and being like, I am all of this. I can live with all of these pieces of me. And I know myself, I know my true self. I can sit in that seat and recognize when these parts come online and their beliefs. And this is the thing that makes it super challenging is it's, it takes a lot of practice and devotion to really honoring that true self and standing as that true self to, to overcome the belief that some of these parts hold. So for me, what I learned about that piece of me, that woman who is, um, very externally validated and very, um, you know, physical appearance oriented and didn't believe she was more than this, you know, on some level I knew, of yeah. course, yeah. of course, but I, my survival mechanism was to put this above everything else, make sure that you're tending to relationship and that you are beautiful and that you are, um, you know, all of these things so you can survive because that's where your biggest worth is. But I knew I had a knowing. So the piece of me that, that operated that way for so long was very, very strong. And she didn't, she didn't trust her inherent gifts to be enough. She didn't trust the heart piece and the writer to be valid in the world because of all those things that you just touched on. You know, um, there, there's also social feedback. So when you're trying to make a change in your life and stand in a new way and really claim your gifts, there's go you're going to contend with the societal norms of what that's supposed to look like. What is that avatar, right? You know, a lot of people look at me and I can sense it in feedback I get in some, you know, kind of nasty comments on social media or just energetically in certain rooms and certain spaces where I'm not taken seriously. You know, um, that's been a piece that has shaken me a lot. And when I stepped into presenting um, for poker and I was in the spotlight with a microphone, you know, I felt that in a room of hundreds of poker players is like, oh, you're just, you know, you're just a face and, and you can, because we're so perceptive, we're these like magically perceptive creatures that are super genius and brilliant. All of us, we have these powers of perception where we can sense what other people, what other people may be feeling or, and we project it. So it's both. So it makes it ex double challenging because we can project our own fears of what people, um, you know, think of us and we can sense them sometimes. And unless we've honed that unshakable knowing of who we are, we will adopt that and allow it to create self-doubt and diminish us and slow us down in really claiming what we desire. So, um, you know, what's, it's helped me, it's a continual process because, you know, what's helped me really stand in that is the brutal, <laughs> sometimes brutal fire of, just doing it anyway, like really, really showing up and recognizing, you know, I'm, I feel nervous. I feel judged. I'm making a change in my life and other people aren't used to seeing me stand this way or other people might be judging me, but I am going to do it anyway because I trust myself and I know this is the calling of my soul. And then there's like the, the inner work of just really nurturing these parts of ourselves that believed that for a long time and recognizing that they served a purpose and they held their space in our life. And now I'm going, now I'm starting a new chapter where I'm going to stand in, you know, in devotion to my craft, in devotion to my purpose, to my mission. And I'm going to know myself in this way and I'm going to nurture this piece of myself. And so it, it, it is difficult. Um, but it's so beautiful to rewrite that in yourself, not only for you, but because we do need to, I think, I think um, collectively, we need to break down these ideas of what these avatars are, like why, you know, what, what validates a person um, 
you know, from forgetting to use their voice and forgetting to write their book and forget, you know, forgetting to be a coach. We say a lot of this like shaming, like, you know, and this is really, really fascinating to me in this space. Um, There is something to be said. uh, There's a lot to be said for apprenticeship and doing the work. And I I think all of us, whatever our craft or calling is, um, it's, imperative that we apprentice ourselves to mentors and that we continue to be students to life and continue to um, to cultivate and hone our mastery. And everyone has an, an area of genius and expertise in their story. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has a right to claim their dream. And the diminishing ideas of you need to look a certain way or validate yourself a certain way or present a certain way in order to, um, you know, to be okay in this space is just something that I think we really need to do away with and start to really, um, you know, bring each other close and celebrate how we're standing in our path of purpose and without that judgment. Yeah, I think it's so important that everybody kind of honors that that inner knowing, that gift that we all have. We all have that thing that has been on the back of our mind, you know, our, our, our sole purpose that we, whether it's that weird quirky thing that we've been not wanting to do or some sort of arts or something, but because of along the way, we were told it doesn't make money, then maybe we should just not do it. And, you know, what I'm coming to realize, and especially being around people like yourself and everybody in FFS, that cultivating that is what's going to create the magic long-term. Like that's going to create the impact, the change, the actual thing that's going to, you know, it's the relationships. It's, it's the long-term sustainability of doing something that you love and being passionate about it because it doesn't feel like work when you're doing something that actually lights you up. And it's just so important to honor that. It's so important. And I think I'm so happy you mentioned that too. Um, You know, I think there's a piece that really came alive for me in my path. Um, I guess, you know, a couple of years ago in particular, and it's always been there. There's this magic force that is really working with us, um, you know, as human beings. We are humans with free will and we are in a you know we're in a game <laughs> in yeah. life we, Literally. we have to play by the rules we need to survive you know and that that's real you know um there's something there's a there's a special a delicate balance here where we we do have to recognize like we we have to play the game and we have to survive and so there's going to be some compromises there's going to be pacing you know there's going to be practical decisions that need to be made at certain points but if you honor the call in some way, you know, I, 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 I work with a lot of people who are frustrated about, you know, I know I don't want to be doing what I'm doing, but I don't know how to get out of it and I need it, you know, and that's a reality that we contend with. The key is that there's also, while we're in this practical reality, playing this game, there's also this magical force that is the divine in us and around us, collaborating with us and calling forward, um, you know, that path of purpose that you just, that you just described. When we ignore it, we start to suffer and we experience depression. We experience that spiritual suicide is what I felt in Las Vegas felt like spiritual suicide. It was, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I don't want to be doing this, but I'm in such a fear and scarcity mindset that I don't believe I can stop. And because I keep doing this in spite of my knowing, I felt myself dying inside. And when we get to that point, let's try not to get to that point, obviously, but honoring the call every day in some way, showing up to that book club, you know, working on your path of purpose a little bit every day that, that brings in this universal support. That's like nodding at you. Like, yes, Mm. yes. Let me assist you. Let me, you know, collaborate with your free will and help, you know, build the abundance and opportunity in your path that you deserve because you're showing up to this calling, you're honoring yourself. And when we give ourselves to it completely, 
like you just touched on magic happens. And that's where the beautiful, the beautiful power of really taking that risk, you know, driving away from Las Vegas and going and sitting in my sister's guest house, or for any of us, you know, leaving that, that job that feels like spiritual suicide and committing fully to our path of purpose. It can be, it can feel like such a risk. There can be moments of scarcity and um, sacrifice and compromise. And that may be an extended period of time. But what I've learned in my path is I trust life. I trust that when I show up, to that call, that when I make that a part of my everyday, that when I don't, I don't get in the fear mindset and I don't let myself, you know, buy into the doubt or the unworthiness, the universe has my back and abundance and opportunity starts to show up in radical ways. And that's, that really excites me about life, this sense and reality of this magical, supportive, collaborative experience that we're having with the divine inside of ourselves and all around us. There's a, there's an area that I want to talk about kind of touching on what you just said. And for those that don't really know the term that much, because there's a lot of people, including myself, when I started this two years ago, I, I wasn't on a spiritual path. I didn't know that I'd be on a spiritual path. And there's a lot of lingo that I've kind of picked up over the years especially the last year. And I think this area is really important. And it's an area that I really had to face during my ayahuasca ceremony recently. And that's around shadow work. Mm. What is shadow work and how does it show up in your life and how do you get through it? Okay. Yes. This is, um, this is very, this has been a huge part of my path and also not intentionally. <laughs> um, I was a person, I shouldn't say was, um, I believe because of my experiences, my personal experiences, I really do believe that when we, when we get into addictive behaviors in a really heavy way where we lose um, our dominion over our experience, we, we tend to hold that um, proclivity to addiction in some way, always. Um, but for me, I, I, I struggled a lot with addiction, um, binge drinking drug use. Um, and this was, you know, earlier in my life in my twenties and going into that dark night of the soul. And, um, the feeling was, you know, there's a part of me that is self-destructive and, very, very strong. And I didn't identify as that part. It felt like a demon in me. And um, there was a dissociation there. That's like, that's not me. Cause I wouldn't choose that. I wouldn't keep putting myself through this. I wouldn't keep sabotaging my life, you know? Um, and so it felt like self-sabotage. And then what I see a lot in, in this concept of the shadow is it's sort of like this evil twin that, and it doesn't always have to do with addiction. That was how mine felt. You know, that was what mine was really strong in. But, you know, the shadow is essentially an expression of yourself that you don't identify with. So this has a few different, um, a few different expressions. There's, what I've seen in, in myself and in other people is there's the shadow that you know is you, but you want to overcome. You want it to go away. You don't, you don't want to identify that way. You don't want to be the, the person who blacks out and you know, goes on a bender for two days, or you don't want to be the person who um, you know, maybe abuses their partner, or, but you know that that's you. And then there's a level of shadow that's completely, completely unconscious and you don't relate to or express to it express as, as all, at all. So this would be like something you see in another person that you judge and you're like, I would never do that. Um, the key about the shadow work is really embracing that the reason that's also your shadow is because at some point in your life, you witnessed that behavior and you decided that's not okay. And that's how these two pieces work. There's the, the level that is so, was what you believed is bad on such a level that you never nurtured or started to express in that way, but you judge it in the world. And so there's a, 
there is a fragmentation of, um, you know, separateness in the collective, in your experience with other people, you will judge it in partners, you will judge it in friends, you will judge it in, um, you know, culture. And that, and that is in your potential because we are all of it. We have the capacity for everything, but we're so dissociated from that level of it that we don't express it as it at all and we don't have compassion for it. So there becomes this separation energy. And then there's a level that we do express as, but we want to overcome it so badly that we don't wanna identify with it. And this, you know, this creates this massive duality in us. So the shadow feels, you know, if, if we think of duality, the light side and the dark side, the shadow is the part that is repressed beneath our identity, our preferred identity. And the light side is the preferred identity, you know, where the ego wants to be, what, how we want to see ourselves. So shadow work is this process of really integrating and accepting that I am all of this. I am the whole range of dark and light. And there's something valuable about the dark or it wouldn't be there. You know, there's, there's the rule of pol polarity, you know, um, and they say like the, the greatest light casts the dark, the darkest shadows, right? So we, if we want to hold light, if we want to express it as light, we have to acknowledge that there's a rule of polarity and duality here where the, the opposite will also be true on some level. And so the shadow work is this practice of bringing these pieces home because what's happening in our psyche is we're saying, I don't want to be you. I hate this part of myself. So there's self-hate on a, you know, and self-judgment and this fragmentation that's happening. And what happens for that piece? You know, I talked about parts earlier. What happens for that piece of the self that's very real, that was born of survival at some point in our lives, it doesn't get loved and it doesn't get seen. So it's louder. It doesn't actually work. If we try to overcome it and just say, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's like, hey, love me. Here I am. But I'm going to fight back. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get louder. That's why a lot of people you know, um, myself very much included, we get to a breakthrough point where we feel like I've healed and I've overcome this. And you might have a nice long stretch of what feels like success and victory. And then that shadow part rears back up and does something really intrusive or destructive in the space. And so the shadow work for me at this point is really listening to this voice. If I have this part of me who believed, um, so to speak to addiction, for myself, I struggled with ADD, I still do. I struggled with addiction. These are very, very similar. So these, um, these two parts are basically, there's something I don't wanna feel, I'm uncomfortable. So I'm gonna distract or I'm gonna numb. And so what's happening is this part of me, this expression, this expression is actually seeking to help me because it believes that I, I'm uncomfortable in some way. Maybe something happened where there's an emotion that wants that's coming up that I don't that that piece is like uh oh you can't feel that you know you you can't handle that let's distract and let's numb that let's go do something to make that feeling go away or if it's you know focus maybe there's some uncomfortable feelings of you know um self-doubt I'm not writing well I can't do it you know um and so ADD comes in like let's just go away from this for a while because I don't like this feeling. And so we're, we start to listen to the parts and go like, okay, what is the feeling that you don't want to feel? You know, what, where did you come from? Where were you born? At what point in my life did I start believing that this emotion was too uncomfortable to feel and that I'd rather distract or that I'd rather rather numb. And what happens with shadow work when we do that, when we reflect and we listen to these parts of ourselves that we want to banish, we start to learn about the rich history of our emotional reality. We start to invite ourselves into really allowing ourselves to feel things that we've never perhaps never felt um, to to bring those pieces home where they become allies and sources of information about our unconscious and we get to just harness all of that for self-awareness for wisdom for growth for development and for compassion for other people so it's a really um really i think critical piece for all of us to kind of drop into 
what part of me is true and real and here with me for here for me with information um, about my emotional reality, my traumas and my history that I, if I didn't banish it and instead I tried to listen to it and integrate it and bring it home, I could be living in more fullness as who I am and less dissociation. So beautiful. So if somebody was listening and they want to apply that right now, what are some tools that literally as soon as they get off this, that they could go and apply so that they could start working, working on the shadow. Okay. So one exercise I, I really love, I just, I just shared this in our fit for service Academy app. Um, it's, it's a practice of, it's really uncomfortable. It's, it's a little uncomfortable. Um, think dropping into those two pieces, you know, the, the identity one, the one that we know we express as is um, an exercise that you could do just to kind of get familiar with not feeling so much shame is to really allow yourself to say, you know, I'll do it right now. You know, um, hi, I'm Caitlin. I am addicted to stimulants. I'm a binge drinker. I put other people before myself constantly. I love drama. I love rejection. I have a very rageful temper. I feel very, very ugly sometimes. And I don't let anyone get close to me because I don't want them to see the totality of who I am. I don't believe it can be loved and on and on. And you allow that stream of consciousness for everything that you are terrified to own. Mm. Just allow yourself, wow. open the channel and allow yourself to own it for once and just see what happens and just see what happens. Just start with that. And you know what I feel it's cringy. <laughs> you know, I can feel it in my system because there's, those are all pieces. Now, does that define me? No. But is it part of me? Yes. And this is the thing that I think is really scary for the ego is we don't want to own these things and we can't work with them until we own them. We can't, we, we can't heal them until we own them, but we don't want to own them because we're afraid it, it defines us. And that's where, you know, the seed of the true self is really holding this totality that's like, I can be all of this, but it doesn't define me. I define me and I know who I am. And that's the opportunity here is, is ownership. Um, so that's a piece. I really, really love, um, you know, for me writing, there's, there's nothing, everyone has their, their tool. Nothing is alchemy for me the way writing is so as i you know um i do some of these practices really bringing in creative writing to give them a voice to the beauty about poetry is it it sort of gives you permission to say anything because it's a poem you know you don't have to stand on a podium and confess all your sins but you can write a beautiful poem that has no filter and you're doing exactly the same thing but you're putting it in the context of art and art, art's incredible alchemy. Um, another really good tool just for once you kind of have this idea of, um, of what your shadow contains, starting to look at that parts work, that um, internal family systems is a, is a structure of this where we um, identify the, the multiple personalities that we are. <laughs> and name them. And so naming your shadow and your shadow may have a few different characters in it. I know mine does, you know, one of mine is the rebel. She's like, no, no, I don't want to do. And she does it to me, you know, like I, I, I'm like, we got to do this today. I don't actually talk to myself that way, but it's me talking to you know, like I'm going to do all this today. I have a massively strong rebel that, that was born at when she, when I was about 13 years old and I learned this through this type of self-reflection, that's basically saying no to everything. 
So unless I become aware of that and recognize like when a partner tells me to do something or someone else tells me to do something and I feel that resistance, it's like, no, I don't want to do it. Cause you said, you know, you said to, um, recognizing that that's in me. It, it helps me kind of track back to, okay, where did this come from? And how, and once you see that, once you recognize that you can also find other things around that space. So for around that space for me at 13 years old, when I became, um, you know, a defiant defiance is her energy. When I became defiant, there was big, um, there was a lot of challenges happening with my mother. So, you know, then I start to link like, okay, what's the relationship here? Um, how does, how does this part of me relate to the mother energy in the world around me? And this gets super interesting. And then when she arises, it's, I'm not identified with her fully anymore. I might feel all the feelings um, in my system, but there's a piece of me that's now aware that's going, oh, this is the rebel. Let's work with her, you know? So, so some of these practices with parts work and really, really owning all your pieces um, and naming them is really helpful for this kind of work. Yeah. It's so important. I've done the same and it's amazing. It's, it's helped so much. And it's, it's so interesting to identify on the timeline when things started to go squirrely and why you picked up these different behaviors and why one was created. And like, I can relate so much as a teenager, like there's these, it's such a, you know, the teenage years were so challenging and there's so many things that came from those years. And, you know, for me personally, that's where my addictive habits came from. Like, I really went back to the timeline. Like, where did, why did I start all this shit? Like, why did I start drinking? Why did I start? Because a lot of your story is so similar to mine too, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the, the toxic behaviors. And it's so interesting to like identify that teenager as like just a part of you. It's okay. You know, like, and it doesn't have to be, you know, on the throne. It doesn't have to be like the king or the queen, right? On the throne. It's, it's just part of it. And it's like, it's okay. And it's part of your unique story, your unique puzzle as a human. And that's what I've really realized. It's like, they're all welcome. They're all welcome at the table. It's like, get to know them, but you don't have to like identify with them. And I, I, I really had this realization in ayahuasca also is just like all these different things. It's like, but you have to acknowledge them. You have mm-hmm. to acknowledge them. And I'm so glad you, you broke that down so nicely because I mean, it's so important to understand that and to really, because while you do that, you desire, you, you create more compassion for yourself, more love for yourself and the whole of you. No, totally. Right. Totally. And one thing I, one thing I actually did with that part, and she's just a part of the shadow pantheon, yeah. there's a whole yeah. little, there's, you know, there's the hungry ghost. There's all, it's fun. You get to like start naming your characters and everything. I've literally imagined sitting her next to me at this desk when I feel resistant to doing my creative work. And I, and I've had a conversation with her in my mind, like, okay, what, you know, what can we do together? Like, instead of just letting her sit on the throne and be a tyrant and go like, we're not doing this or let's go, you know, drink a margarita or whatever, (laughs) like bring her next to you, bring him next to you and, and have this, like gentle imaginary dialogue. It feels a little crazy, but it actually works. It, it shifts your system. And so that's the next step. Once you really start to cr- recognize these parts, like you described is letting them be there and listening to them. And then just assert gently asserting, you know, in a way that feels good for that part. Like we're going to do this. If you feel the addict, come online, you know, I, I know you want to go do that but we're going to do this or we're going to make these rules or, you know, there's, there's dialogue that can happen with these parts. that's really, really interesting and really healing. Would you say the best practice to acknowledge that would be journaling? Yeah. Or- journal, journaling and visualization. Um, there's, you know, it, It takes, a. I think sometimes for myself, if you're going to do this on your own, you know, writing, writing through this is helpful. Feeling is essential though, too. Mm. It can't, because writing can feel very cerebral. So you, I think the key, if you're going to use writing as the tool is to be connected to what's happening in your emotional body too, because a lot of the way we express in these sub selves as shadow 
or anything really. A lot of it is emotionally informed. I mean, I'd say all of it, you know, now thoughts feed emotions, emotions can feed thoughts, but typically it goes, you know, there's um, some, some input happens from our world and we have an emotional response to it. The emotional response will typically trigger like which piece of us is gonna show up in the world. So if the, if there's something that triggers the shadow expression, you know, we may not even connect it to our experience or our emotional body. We may just, we, we tend to just embody our emotions so instantly with no gap or no witness energy that we don't even recognize that it's happening until after it's happened, you know? Um, so creating a little space in our emotions through the witness practice, I'd actually say that's step one. You can't even start to do, you know, to, to give your shadow a voice through a poem if you don't see that it's happening until you can do it afterwards. Sure. And that's helpful. Um, but really the, I think, Another really key piece as a first point is cultivating the, the witness, cultivating awareness, recognizing when, you're, when your emotional body is, is triggered and something's starting to stir and you're starting to shift out of the true self into this sub-self or shadow self. If you can feel that happening, and that might feel like an impulse towards addiction. It may not even feel like, like a strong emotion. It may feel like an impulse towards addiction an impulse to text your ex, you know, <laughs> like these are like the self-sabotage moves, right? Like some impulse to do something that you know is going to pull you off track, noticing through the witness seat. Oh, I'm, I'm feeling compelled to do that. That's one. Then, then from that place, you can start to ask before I act, where is this coming from? Where is this impulse coming from? You know, d does the compulsion to text this person or to go open a bottle of wine, or to get on Instagram, <laughs> you know, where is this coming from? What is it that I don't, that, what am I uncomfortable with? What am I avoiding? Because typically the avoidance um, piece of these shadow behaviors is rooted in suppressing an uncomfortable emotion, typically. Or there's, you know, some level of, I don't believe I can, um, and this just takes practice. It takes self-compassion, it takes, the commitment to just, you know, have a day where you're, where you're dropping in to witness what are, you know, and it's a, and re ruthless self-compassion because one of the key, the key um, freeze emotions and the key experiences that really compel us into shadow is actually shame. So it's a vicious cycle. Shame is a, a is an emotion that a lot of us I mean, who likes to feel shame, right? Nobody. It's, it's a very, very difficult emotion. But what happens a lot of the time is because we're dissociated from the shadow and we don't want to identify as that, when we recognize that we've behaved that way, we feel shame and the shame is uncomfortable and it sits back in our system as defeat, failure, um, self-judgment. And so this kind of, these uncomfortable emotions actually feed the shadow part of ourselves that we're trying to overcome because we're judging it. So compassion is very, very key too. In the witness seat, you don't judge. You just notice. You notice that there's an impulse. You notice that there's, you know, an emotion and you ask, what is this emotion that I don't want to feel? What's, where's this coming up from? Or maybe it's just a pattern, you know, um, a habit. We, we cultivate habits through our lifetimes. And once we get aware of them, we can break them but it takes practice. And in order to be successful at that practice, we have to be compassionate for ourselves that there will be times again and again and again, where we slide back into the, the muscle memory of what we've been doing for our entire lives. And that's okay. We're just gonna bring it back here. you know. So kind of honing this, this nurturing mother energy with ourselves that's really willing to forgive and nurture and bring it back and just feel like we're going to keep doing this. We're going to, you got this. You're doing great. <laughs> You're doing great, sweetie. You know, um, that's, that's the kind of energy we want to have with these parts of ourselves that we're usually very, very hard on. That, you know how important that is the way you just described that for people, Caitlin, like that is, <laughs> it's amazing. This is why you're so great at what you do oh. is because you can articulate such a, a concept that most people 
will go their whole life without understanding. Wow. And like to be able to hear that, the way you explain it, that's why, you know, certain questions like that I wanted to ask you because I know you're so good at explaining it. And people, people need to hear it from the right, from the right source. And the way you explain it and the way, you know, you've helped so many people, it's, it's amazing. So thank you. Thank you for articulating these concepts so well. Wow. Thank you. I'm so, happy. <laughs> I'm so grateful to receive that and so happy. I really do hope it helps people. Mm. Um, you know, it's important. It's helped me and I'm still, I'm still working on helping myself. Um, I've, I've come a long way in my life and I know I have a lot farther to go and I'm enjoying the journey of the process of continually learning these fascinating things about myself. You know, I, I like that. I like that perspective on it more than God, you know, healing is so hard and actualizing is so hard, like more like, wow, it's so fascinating. (laughs) You know, um, that's the more we uncover, it's just like the rabbit hole continues. And if we can, instead of feeling like, Oh, the work never ends, like how fun and interesting Mm -hmm. it can be, you know? Yeah, because that's coming from a place of empowerment, right? I mean, every single situation is a lesson if we want it to be. Absolutely. It's like, what can we learn? (laughs) Absolutely. I there's one more thing I wanted to touch on here is that I know the last year has been very challenging for you and for a lot of people, but you know, particularly you've had of you know, I've got to hear you share a lot of things and it's been challenging. So for you, I guess, what was your biggest lesson that you, that you had this year for yourself and how did you get through it and how are you moving forward with it? Thank you. Yes. So what a year, um, 2020 was I right now we're in March and one year ago, um, my father was right around the time that the pandemic hit, um, almost hand in hand, day to day, really, with every escalation of the pandemic. Um, my father received a, a diagnosis of a of a brain tumor on February 26th that was the type of brain tumor that you cannot operate on. And he was only 63. Um, I absolutely had anticipated, you know, at least 20 more years with him. Like that's, I, you know, that's, I, I realize now that we, you know, that was generous of me to expect, but, um, but I did. And he was a healthy man, very smart, totally, um, you know, exhibited no signs of having any sort of physical issue. And he started getting vertigo and he got this diagnosis. And so this the diagnosis itself rocked me because then it just wiped away the future of like into the unknown. We don't know how much time he has. We don't know what this looks like. And it rapidly progressed into um, such debilitating symptoms for him. And he ended up, um, you know, he was not able, I, I feel not able to get the care that he could have if it wasn't a pandemic. This was a right when it um, it really set in and the quarantine was very strong. Um, businesses were all shut down. Doctor's appointments were done virtually and his will and his, um, his support was so low through that process. He rapidly declined and he was in hospice by the beginning of May. So a month and a half, um, we went from having a healthy me and my four sisters went from having a healthy father um, who was totally mentally sound, brilliant, and uh, seemed to have a long future ahead of him to sitting at his deathbed because um, the way that the medical system was at that time and his desire to be home because he was so uncomfortable experiencing uh, nausea and um, vertigo and he couldn't keep food down. Um, I went from you know having this very active you know, I was traveling all the time. I felt like the, like all of us, I think, you know, at the beginning of 2020, like this is going to be an incredible year. There's so much to look forward to. Um, all systems halt and I'm moving back in with my parents and I'm going to care for my father at his bedside while he passes away, which is what I did for, um, two months, you know, from April to June. And it was, it was, you know, the, 
easily the hardest, um, most horrific in some ways thing, you know, as a, as a child, you, you, I just never experienced death that way. I'd never seen it myself. Um, and, and for it to be someone I love so deeply and I, you know, I'm still grieving it. Um, but what happened through that process was a true, I'd say, I'd say it was my second wake awakening point of my life. You know, the first was that dark night of the soul where I hit rock bottom. And I said, you know, I'm going to save my life. And I did. And I got to this point and then, but I still had, you know, a lot that I wasn't fully claiming. It was like, I want to finish the book. Still haven't, you know, fully done that. All these things, you know, eventually I want to, I wanted to take my father, you know, to do plant medicine and deepen our relationship and, you know, have children of my own and him meet them and all of these things that I was kind of putting off by prolonging and, um, you know, traveling and still, still living my life. And that's okay. I was having a beautiful time, but this moment of caring for him and while the world just falls apart all around me, you know, our, our, my work was halted. My, um, you know, I couldn't see people. I couldn't go anywhere like all of us. And so that was all happening, but it was really secondary to this big loss. And I never experienced grief this way. And what that did for me was it really put so much into perspective the t- the immediacy that we um that that helps us if we live our lives with immediacy this understanding that time we don't know how much time we have um this this deep tender connection to my inner child and to my family it kind of woke me up to that it woke me up to what do I want to do with the second half of my life? I'm 37 now. He, his life ended at 63. That's more than halfway over on those terms. How do I want to live today when we don't know how much time we have? How, how much urgency do I want to bring to my creative work? How much presence do I want to bring to my relationships? How much passion do I want to bring into living? And so um, it was, it was a, really heartbreaking experience um taught me a lot about grief and i'm all i'm going to be a student of grief for a long time because of this um because grief is very very dynamic and very um unpredictable and beautiful it's a great teacher um but very hard and and it when i came back into my life after that um i don't think i've ever been the same and i'm really grateful for that um, my lifestyle change. I I actually feel free of my addictions at this point completely, and I think a big part of that was the wake up call that death was. Um, now, surely, like anything else, I could um, feed those addictions and make them stronger again. But the the reckoning that this brought me, of sitting at at this bedside of death and watching my father pass and and doing all the the devotional work of caring for him um, really, really taught me so much about what matters to me, about what kind of life I want to create, about the urgency of that and um, and the passion and presence that I want to bring to my life and to all of my work. So it's been a really unbelievable year. I want to sit with that for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for making space for it. It was a huge, <sighs> huge piece of my path. Yeah. Yeah. And it's grieving is it's never easy. It's just so challenging and it's all part of it. And yeah, I mean, again, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. um, Thank you so much, Caitlin, for everything that you bring. (laughs) Thank you. Honestly, like, Thank you so much for the light you bring to the world. 
and for all the people getting to know you for the first time, um, I'm, I know they're going to love you and I really appreciate you coming on. I'm so glad that we made it happen at this specific time. And I, I'm so excited to just continue to, uh, to see you grow and to see you shine the light and yeah, so much gratitude. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for giving me this space to stand as who I am, to receive me as who I am. Um, and, you know, I, I'm really hoping that this conversation supports people and really stepping into the fullness of who they are, um, you know, with, with that commitment to living now as, you know, in service to the call that we all feel in our own unique way. And I'm super grateful for fit for service, um, you know, for the divine in my life, creating the space for me to stand as a coach and fit for service and meet people that I call family now, like yourself and, um, and that we can support other people in, in to cultivating their path of purpose and, and, uh, you know, self-fulfillment that we are all seeking. I feel, I feel very fortunate and really, really grateful to be here today with you. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, I am on Instagram. I'm pretty active on there as a channel uh, that's at the poet queen. And I have a new website that I'm um, launching here soon. It's in, it's in development, but it's still, you can still sign up for a newsletter on there when it's ready. And that is poetqueen.com. And you guys can also find me. Yeah. You guys can also find me um, in the app with fit for service Mm -hmm. Academy as a coach and, um, and the fit for service fellowship will be around the world gathering and um and connecting and spreading the love together as a community so i look forward to meeting all of you guys online or in person um any which way that i can and supporting everybody as much as possible yeah and we will see you soon in costa rica my friend (laughs) maybe i can't wait yeah so much lance thank you love you thank you so much thanks everybody (laughs) thanks everybody Make sure to check out Caitlin. Go follow her on Instagram. See what she's doing. She's amazing. Also, highly recommend going and checking out the FFS Academy app. See how you feel. The fellowship, Fit for Service, Aubrey Marcus, the whole crew is fucking amazing. And I, I just can't say enough good things about it. So if you feel called, check it out. And it's, yeah, <laughs> nothing else to say. If you guys got value from this, please share this with a friend, tag us on social media, whatever you feel called to do. If This is where we make change is where we hear something and then if we share it with somebody we think may hear it or we tag somebody, that's how the ripple starts, right? And as soon as you feel like that, share it, right? Sharing is caring. That's how these episodes get out there. So, and if you guys do feel called, leave us a review on Apple or wherever you, wherever you listen to this. We're also available all audio platforms and YouTube. If you want to watch this on YouTube also, that's available. Keep your eyes peeled for University of Adversity Summit, May 21st. I'm going to be announcing more of that this week, you guys. And the crowdfunding campaign is a few days left. If you haven't jumped in yet, we're almost at the goal. We really appreciate it. I love you guys and we'll catch you next time.